I propose a wager, Mr. Tennyson. The wagers take the following form. I will bet him $500,000 that he cannot remain silent for one year. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And And, uh, in accordance to this week's episode, I will not say another word (laughs) for the next hour. Oh, you beat me to the punch. I was just going to do this whole gag of like, well, Kevin's not here, but what's that? Oh, he's in the, he's pushing a a note against the glass the entire time with all his comments. That's what I was going to do. So congratulations. You, you beat me to the punch Um, (laughs) because we always race to the bottom here on strange highways. So I hope you guys enjoyed last episode. I hope you um, woke up from your uh, gas filled coffins to check out this episode. Um, And, and maybe you saved all your gold because it may not be valuable in the future, but it has value now. So, Um, all right. So this episode is uh, season two, episode 25, the silence. Uh, air date April 28th, 1961. Uh, number one film as uh, 101 Dalmatians again, um, I believe. I think it came back and took over the box office. Uh, number one song, we have a new one. It's Runaway by Dal Shannon. Very, um, very iconic song. Uh, mm-hmm. Makes me think of Children of the Corn. I think if I remember right, there's a bit where that was playing on a 45 player and it was really creepy. Um, yeah. So didn't find anything for April 28th, but on April 29th, a couple things here, uh, not related to this episode, but uh, a 25 year old Pavarotti would make his operatic debut. So maybe that does tie in like this guy who's yeah, kind of the opposite. Yeah, um, <laughs> he would be silent no more. Uh, and then the same day, uh, ABC's Wild World of Sports made his debut. So I think that's kind of interesting just because that kind of pushed uh, television and sports television forward a little bit because this actually made it a point to show pre-recorded sporting events that weren't maybe as commonly seen um, as like, you know, the the baseball and football at the time. So, yeah. yeah. Um, funny on my notes, I wrote April 28th, 1661. <laughs> well we could do a search to see if anything significant happened then maybe maybe yeah. much more interesting stuff than Pavarotti and abc's wild world of sports yeah i was gonna say definitely not tv uh, so <laughs> yeah uh let's jump into cast and crew here we got uh, this episode was directed by boris segal who is a uh ukrainian director uh he directed one other twilight zone episode which i believe will be coming up in season three and one episode of the night gallery he probably most famously directed oh uh the omega man Mm -hmm. with charlton heston charlton heston excuse me which was based on a richard matheson story so kind of a the connection there so that comes full circle um 
I, I found this out. I, I don't know if you uh, had noticed this or not, but uh, Seagal, he was killed in an accident during production of a miniseries called World War III when he was partially decapitated after walking into the tail rotor blades of a helicopter in the parking lot of the Timberline Lodge in Oregon. An investigation cool. revealed that he turned the wrong way when exiting the helicopter. He died five hours later in a Portland hospital. Oh, that is man, that is some rough that's business. a terrible way to go. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, and that's weird because we were just discussing before we came on air uh, how helicopters are kind of terrifying. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> well, poor Boris had to go out that way. I think this happened after the onset accident of the Twilight Zone, the movie with a helicopter as well. So, you know, I just, I, you know, just watch the skies. If you work on the twilight zone, I guess, or, or no, sorry, watch the parking lots in case of Boris here. We turn the, how do you, how do you turn the wrong way of a helicopter though? Like, don't you like, wouldn't you know which part is forward? Like when you get out, like, I don't know why, like, I mean, maybe, maybe I would just be confused by the rotors being loud and, and everything being chaotic. Well, did he walk into like the tail. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. He, okay, he walked okay, into the tail yeah, rotor like, blades. Yeah. He walked into the rear of the helicopter. He just shut his eyes and run, like <laughs> jump out and run. Like, I don't know. I mean, like, cause you got to think that those rotor blades on the tail are pretty wide. Right. I mean, considering what they yeah, do, like, yeah. I, man, that's, that's bizarre. It's it a terrible way to go out. I mean, in the fact that he, you die five hours later, like if, if, if I am unfortunate enough to get out of a helicopter and I walk <laughs> into a rotor, it needs to be done right there. Like, I don't think I want to be around for another five hours. You know I mean? I'm sure he wasn't conscious, but I'm going to guess he was conscious for like the next couple minutes after that happened. You know, yes. that is, uh, that, that's not a good way to start the show off, but that is terrifying. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty gruesome way to start this episode. <laughs> um, you're welcome. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, this episode was written by Rod Serling. Um, yeah, maybe based on something uh, that we'll get to after we cover the plot here. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll move on to cast here. We have Francho Tone, who uh, plays Colonel Archie Taylor, which I don't I don't know if I caught the Colonel part in the actual story. I never but, heard it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what he was credited as. So I'll leave it as such. He was probably most well known for his role in Mutiny on the Bounty, which ended up uh his role in that was responsible for creating the best supporting role at the Academy Awards. Oh, just I didn't because realize of how that. good he was. They ended up um, after that creating that uh, category. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, um, I I was reading further about or earlier about his life uh, when he was going through school. He was educated at the Hill School, from which he was dismissed for being a subtle influence for disorder throughout the fall term. So he was booted for his uh, his behavior at a school, but subtle influence of disorder. Yeah. And then uh, at one point he uh, was married to Joan Crawford. Yeah. And uh, there was a little, I don't know how much of a triangle it was with uh, Betty Davis or anything. Um, but I thought that was interesting because FX has that show going on right now called Feud. That's actually dealing with the feud that those two actresses had. Um but he, his career never took off, and I guess he was referred to as Mr. Joan Crawford because <laughs> she was just that much more famous than he was. Um, but they ended up staying in touch even after uh, they got divorced and they separated. Uh, when he was sick and uh, couldn't really take care of himself, she sent money, and she she kind of 
took care of his mm-hmm. final wishes and everything, which I, I thought was kind of nice. Um, but I just thought it was interesting because I guess Buddy Davis had made moves on him trying to like seduce him and found out that he was engaged to Joan Crawford and just got like really angry about the whole situation <laughs> and jealous. And it ended up causing this whole situation wow. um, on the set of a movie and everything. Um, but yeah, I thought it was interesting. I, I, I'm, I wonder if there's anything about him in that new TV show that they're doing. Yeah, I didn't think about that. So I know you mentioned his marriage to Joan Crawford and how she kind of helped him in his later years because he did. He was a chain smoker who died of lung cancer. But as mm-hmm. he was like, you know, as he was failing, you know, in his health, uh, she helped him and he actually suggested that they get remarried and she said no. So I, I, I saw that. Um, but I also find it kind of ironic that he was a chain smoker who died of lung cancer and then he was cremated. That seems about the way you kind of want to go out, right? Like that's, yeah. like that's it. Just turn me into smoke. Uh. <laughs> I, I got, I've gotten dark so far. I just apologize. It's not going to get any brighter <laughs> as we go along. Yeah. This episode isn't, uh, isn't too bright either. So if only he um, could ride a racehorse that was, that just died suddenly, then, then this would be about it. It'd be the trifecta. <laughs> Yeah, Francho Tone is the Hyperion of the cast here. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought it was funny that they, the press used to call him Mr. Joan Crawford. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he had a great look. Um, he did. He reminded he reminded me of another actor. I couldn't quite place my finger on it. His, his face and his voice reminded me of Milton Berle a little bit like later okay. Milton Burrow. Like he was more attractive than Milton Burrow, but the way he kind of, and we'll get into this episode, into the episode proper when we talk about it, his, the way he kind of just said things that were very dismissive and cutting, it just, it felt very, I don't know. I just kept hearing Milton Burrow the entire time. Yeah. It was like Milton Burrow mixed with, uh, oh man, Kirk Douglas. A little yeah, bit. No, that's a good call. That's a really good call. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's who I was trying to figure out. Uh, but next up we have Liam Sullivan who plays Jamie Tennyson, who was in one other episode of the twilight zone. Uh, the last season or last episode of season three with Donald Pleasance. So looking forward to that one. Um, he was also in the magic sword with Basil Rathbone and one episode of the star Trek, which seems to <laughs> be a uh, fairly famous one. <laughs> Did I say the Star Trek? Yeah, you're like, of the Star Trek. Like, I love it. Yeah, that's, that, that's, <laughs> that's how much I'm familiar with it. So The Star Trek. Plural. Um, a couple things about him. One, the magic sword, which I've not seen, but evidently this was actually skewered on uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, yeah. Later on, they've admitted that they actually the movie was pretty good. Like, even though they made fun of it, they actually kind of liked it. So I appreciate yeah, it's, that. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. Um, um. And then his, uh, he, he played villains often and he said, uh, playing truly evil, evil people is a great way to release tension and anger and disgust with humanity. So, you know, show bad people what they really look like and act like, and maybe they'll recognize themselves and change who knows. So I, I like that kind of attitude of like, I liked playing bad people to maybe show people what they could be if they don't change their ways. And it's also just fun. He was also in two ABC after school specials. Yeah, I feel like that's what he really wanted to say was just like, yeah, it's more fun to play those characters. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's way more fun. Um, so we have uh, two reoccurring actors who are uh, very recognizable. We have Jonathan Harris, who plays George Alfred, the lawyer. He was the doctor in in the uh, recent episode of the Twilight Zone 22 mm-hmm. that we covered. 
um, the very awkward sexual <laughs> harassment doctor. <laughs> much better character in this one, and he had much yes. more to do, so I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then we have Cyril DeLevante, who plays Franklin, who uh, played Smithers in A Penny for Your Thoughts, who was the uh, old man who was thinking about robbing the bank so he could retire. Yeah. Uh, and his hair didn't get any better. I appreciate the kind of like wake up bedhead that he had in, in both these episodes. Yeah, there was uh, a lot of other people, background uh, artists in this that I couldn't really find too much on. But amongst those people is the uh, uh, the great Robert McCord. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know if I should use the term great. He, was he doesn't in, really do anything. He's but, in everything. I, I just, you got to mention Robert McCord yeah. when, you, when you I may not recognize him, but if he's in the cast list, you got to call it out. So, yeah, I like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have some notes about some other people because I, I kind of went through a, a little bit further. Uh, we have Everett Glass as a club member. Couldn't tell you who it was, but he was in uh, 1951's uh, The Thing. So I, I wanted to, to bring that in. Uh, and Very we also nice. have uh, Felix Locher or Locher. It's L-O-C-H-E-R. I'm, I'm saying it wrong. Uh, A.K.A. John Hall. This guy went by a couple of different names. He was also a club member. He was in one episode of Hawaiian Eye. So congratulations. Uh he directed and starred in the beach girls and the monster and the Navy versus the night monsters. Uh, so this guy kind of did some exploitative cinema at the time. Uh, Hall was an inventor and highly skilled aviator. He held patents on an underwater camera, Optivision lenses and the design for, uh, for the hulls of PT boats for the Navy. So like this guy, he's just a background guy in this episode. I couldn't tell who he was. Interesting life. And I just want to mention also on his Wikipedia page, it said in 1944, he took part in the Battle of the Balcony, a fight between Hall and Big Bang leader, a big band leader, not Big Bang leader, uh, Tommy Dorsey. So this guy got into a fist fight with Tommy Dorsey. And um, I just, I, so I appreciate that. So I just wanted to bring that up that someone in this club had a fight with Tommy Dorsey and also invented a bunch of stuff and then directed, um, you know, the bikini movies with monsters. Um, and then John Holland, who was also a club member, was in three episodes of Hawaiian Eye and one episode of Johnny Midnight. So we're done here. Thanks for listening. Uh, that's This has been our episode. <laughs> um, so the Navy versus the Night Monsters mm-hmm. looks amazing. <laughs> I thought you um, already owned all the Night Monsters movies. I didn't know. It just seemed like, seemed like a thing maybe you'd have already. Yeah, I, I probably should, but I uh, I don't. It looks incredible. So next one on my list. Yeah. So that's all I have. Is, I'm still. Uh, yeah. I'm still trying to hunt down uh, the night that God screamed. I want to so watch I that. One Absolutely. Of my, yeah. Yeah. I think one of my friends actually found it for me. Um, I haven't been able to get it. So I'll report back when I finally do watch it. <laughs> nice. And if you could find any footage of the Battle of the Balcony where this guy fought Tommy Dorsey, I'd be interested in watching that as well. Yeah, I would definitely be interested <laughs> in watching that. So, yeah, that's all I have for the rest of the cast and, and crew. Cool. Uh, let's let Rod take it away, then. The note that this man is carrying across a club room is in the form of a proposed wager. But it's the kind of wager that comes without precedent. It stands alone in the annals of bet making as the strangest game of chance ever offered by one man to another. In just a moment, we'll see the terms of the wager and what young Mr. Tennyson does about it. And in the process, we'll witness all parties spin a wheel of chance in a very bizarre casino called the Twilight Zone. 
I don't appreciate Rod taking our twist horns there at the end of that that intro. Like I feel like he's just ripping us off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this episode uh, I had never seen before, and it comes fast at you. Yes. Uh, I was trying to take notes before I realized that we weren't quite we weren't quite supposed to figure out what this one character was talking about. Um, but there's a ton of dialogue, but basically, uh, there's a man walking around this, this club, this men's club or something. I'm not quite sure what you do there other than sit in big chairs and smoke and drink. It feels um, like the same club as the Potomac club that we saw him back there. That's what it feels like. Is just a bunch of, of old money, rich white men just hanging out. Yeah, I guess, I, I guess it, the point of it is to go like, get away from your wife and just drink and smoke. So, um, so there, there's this man, Tennyson, who is talking to this other, this other rich white man. And, uh, <laughs> he's just, he's talking so fast. He won't be quiet. And you see Archie, uh, Colonel Taylor, I guess he is sitting in a chair across the room. And as he's talking, it would do like a close up on his ear twitching and the sound would, they'd put this echo effect on the sound and everything. And it just, it's just this guy talking and talking and it gets to the point where it's getting on your nerve. So obviously it's supposed to be getting on his. And, um, so his lawyer comes in, he's like, I just got your letter. And he was like, would you look at this guy over here? The only thing worse than his talking is his transparency. He's about to ask for a loan. You'll see. And you find out that he sent this wager to the lawyer to make sure it was legal or not. Um, and at this point, we don't know what the wager is. Uh, you've already heard what it is with the Serling intro. But he sends a note over to Tennyson, and it, he tells the butler to have him read it immediately. So he reads it, and it turns out that um, the proposition is he bets him $500,000 that he can't uh, stay silent for one year. Yeah, and I just you and you hit the nail on the head with the whole like the beginning with uh, Jamie just talking and talking and talking, and you get the feeling when you see him telling every, talking to everybody that they it's kind of like uh, you've seen these people at parties where it's like what can I do to get away from him, and people are just kind of splitting off from him and kind of just like evaporating around him as he just keeps going, and he kind of is aware of it too, so he just switches his attention to the next person, and uh, it, it's it's very effective. And with Archie just in the distance watching him, just disgusted. And then the close-ups of the ear. And uh, at one point, I think they do a close-up of Tennyson's mouth as it's moving. Like, it's very uncomfortable. And it's actually really effective. Yeah. Um, it's something I, I can relate to because I'm quite, I'm kind of a quiet person. And uh, I when I'm in public, I don't like other people outside of who I'm speaking to to really hear what I'm saying. And I don't like being able to hear people across rooms and across from like other rooms. I just I don't like when people are too loud and uh, it's just people that like to hear themselves talk constantly uh, get on my nerves. So I, I immediately was like, all right. I'm on board with this. <laughs> I was going to say, if you don't like loud people, I don't know how we've been friends for years. But I mean, I try. No, no. I, I'm, I know I'm a bull in the china shop sometimes. But, you know, <laughs> I just go asking for bank loans all the time off of people or just, just some loans so I can just double and triple their investments. You know, that's what I do. Um, but 
but yeah, I just it was a good setup where you see Archie being like this the old codger in the chair in the distance watching Tennyson and then his lawyer coming over, which again we mentioned that was Jonathan Harris. And Jonathan Harris has he has he normally has like an evil look, but in this episode he's not a, he's not a bad guy. So you you just at first you kind of think that he's kind of sinister because it's you know it's the it's the bad guy from Lost in Space and you know the sexual harassment doctor from Twenty Two, but he's trying to speak some sense into Archie. And when they ask about the wager, he's like, "Is it illegal?" He's like, "It's not." He's like, "It's not against the law." He's like, "Well, good enough," you know. And yeah. I, it's like that just kind of tells you a little bit about Archie that just because something. Um, isn't illegal doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing to do, but he forces the lawyer to hand the note off to the butler. Yeah. And uh, he's, he's kind of the voice of reason throughout this episode. Cause he comes back in yeah. uh, talking to Archie and Tennyson at times. Um, so it, after he reads this thing aloud in front of all the members, um, it, it, he, he just, it, he starts laying into Tennyson. He's just like, I don't like you. You're annoying. Um, You're not of good breeding. And, <laughs> this is what yeah. He says. yeah. Yeah. He just lays into him and it finally says, I just want some peace and quiet. That's why I'm placing this bet. And um, he knows that Tennyson is broke. I th- or no. It, so he ends up accepting it. That's what it is. Yeah. He accepts the wager. And um, so at that point, that's when, uh, Taylor, he gives the uh, the rest of the rules for this thing. So we find out that there's going to be this glass enclosure in the basement of this club or the downstairs of this club. And it's going to be set with mics so that they can hear him and uh, he can hear them and everything. So he asked for a certified check and Taylor's like, I'm not doing that. You're just going to have to take my word on this. Everyone in this club knows that I'm good for this. Yeah, and like, and, and basically, the whole thing is you're going to be in this glass box for a year. Um, you will have want of nothing as long as you know. If there's something that you need, basically, he will be given what he what he wants, but he can't speak a word about it. Um, and so it becomes this thing where um, tennis is basically saying, you know, it's it's my it's my character versus your word type of thing. And he's like, and I, I must, he was like, he's like, I could walk away from this, but I'll do it. And then as he is leaving for the evening, because the, the wager will start the next night, um, because evidently Archie has connections at the club and you know, it's really easy to build a glass box in a day, but whatever. Um, yeah. it, that's, it seems like there's a lot of resources there that they don't really get into, but that's fine. Well, um, he says he's already reached out to the, uh, to different people to yeah. set this up at some point. Yeah, it, um, it, it works, but it's really fast. Uh, yeah, it, it's fine. But, but again, you gotta you gotta keep the story going. Yeah. So um, so, um, so as everyone's leaving, that's when the lawyer goes up to Tennyson and he asks, like, "Why are you accepting this?" Like, <laughs> and he he explains that his wife has very expensive tastes, um, and uh, he's like, "I I have to do it. I'm in debt. Like, this is just something." I'm going to have to do to get out of it. It's, it's something along the lines of, I have the miserable mis- misfortune of being in love with her. And it's just yeah. a, it's a telling line because it's like, he knows that he can't possibly keep up with what she does. Cause he says something about how she goes to these fancy stores. Like it was a supermarket and it ba- basically he's in love with her and has been trying to keep up with her habits, but he's, he's kind of done. So he will take this bet because he has no other option. Yep. So then we cut forward and uh, 
he's he's in this glass enclosure and uh you get a great shot of Archie like peering in from outside of the room just kind of watching him and I I guess I found out when I was doing some research that Tone showed up on they shot this in what seems like about two days they did all the club stuff in one day and they they did all the stuff with the glass enclosure on a second day. Let me read the quote um, before you tell what actually happened. So, because I was, I was okay. saving this. I was saving this for the end of the episode. Didn't I? Did not know if you knew what was going to happen or not. Because okay. the, the, the yeah, the, but there yeah. are a lot of interesting ways that they shoot tone from this <laughs> point on. Yeah, <laughs> and I I think it works pretty well. So um, so it, it hats off to the director of this episode, Boris Segal, because there, uh, yeah, there's a lot of close-ups of the side of his face. There's a lot of times where he shot in profile. It's very Hitchcockian, and it's very menacing. But yeah, like, in terms well, of I like, like it because it's almost like he doesn't want to make eye contact with him. Yeah, like um, it's almost as if he knows like he's going to lose this bet, and he doesn't even want to look him in the eyes, or that he knows that he's in the wrong for making him go through with this. Yeah. And he just doesn't even want to look at him or something. So it, it ends up working really well for his character. It does. So I, I'll go ahead and tell the story now because I was waiting. I, like I said, I didn't know how much you got into this. Because the beginning of the episode and the very end were shot on day one. And then the downstairs in the glass encasement was shot later. So this is according to uh, Buck Houghton, who's the producer of the show. And there's there's a couple different versions of the story, but I'll tell his. Um, and this is kind of long, so bear with me. Uh, Franchot Tone was a marvelous guy, full of life and vigor, and he drank and he womanized. But the problem with Tone was that, uh, like an awful lot of bad drunks, he automatically made an assumption that once drunk, he was two things. He was irresistible, and number two, he was the strongest son of a bitch on the face of the earth. Uh, and he wound up getting the hell kicked out of him all his life. So he was shooting for us, and on the second day of shooting, Tone didn't show up. And we waited, and we waited. And you know, the call is 6 in the morning, and when it got to be 10 a.m., everybody's just sitting around waiting. We got his agent who tracks him down. He's in a clinic. It seems that he was in the parking lot of Romanov's, which is a restaurant. Um, he decided that he liked the look of some girl. And he went after her. First, she hit him, then her boyfriend hit him, and then stomped his face on the gravel so that the left side of Tone's face was like a gigantic overripe watermelon. And I said, so be it. Come in, Frank, and we'll just shoot the the other side of your face, which we did. (laughs) (laughs) So everything you were talking about him being, you know, kind of in this love triangle and kind of being like this, like, you know, this lightning rod of a figure, he... Went out and got the shit kicked out of him the, the 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 night of the shooting, like for the second day, and didn't show up, you know, until they're just like, just come in, we'll just shoot the other side of your face. And it and you're right, it gives this episode kind of an off kilter feel, you know. But then after so I, I watched the episode first, not knowing this, and I'm like, this is kind of some interesting camera work. And then I read this, and I'm like, oh, well, that all makes sense now. That you'll never see him turn towards the camera while he's in the game room near the glass encasement. Yeah, it's really creative, though. Like I, it I, is. I think it was one of those things that was just like, um, it, it it ended up working out for the best. But especially <laughs> when you get to the end of this episode, it makes sense that he wouldn't want to look him in the eye. No, it, it works you know? really, really like, well. It totally works to the story. So, um. Uh, yeah, so he, he's watching him from a side and the butler brings Tennyson his food and everything. 
and he stops him and asks him how he's doing. He said he's he's uh, eating well. He's in good health. He's doing well. And Tennyson looks like he's living it up. Um, I, if you guys follow the Instagram page, I posted a picture a few weeks ago before we were recording of me and my smoking jacket. Uh, <laughs> he's basically in the exact same smoking jacket I was wearing. Yeah, like so. I mean, he, you know, other than being in a glass box all day with no bathroom and no shower, which whatever, it's the, it's the '60s. I'll let that go, I guess. Like, yeah, he he doesn't. He has a TV, he has a radio. Like, he has for for the modern time in which this is shot, he has for want of nothing, you know. And 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 yeah, it's, any it, food or drinks that he needs, yeah. like perfect. But like you said, no bathroom, so that might get kind of sketchy after <laughs> like, a while. Like I've watched my I've watched my wife play The Sims a lot, which is basically the same situation. They need to go to the bathroom eventually, you know. So I don't know what so, was going on. Are you saying The Sims stole their idea from uh, this? <laughs> no, I just know that people, more vindictive people, will like to take their Sim and put it into a house and just build walls with no way out and just watch the Sim drive themselves crazy, which is very similar to the plot of this episode, you know. So I've, I've never done that. I. <laughs> You've never put your Sims in a pool and then taken the ladder out and just watched them suffer in the pool? You've never done that? No comment. <laughs> You're one in like three states for Sim-related deaths. I know. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so but um, so I, I wanted to mention this to you. So as we're talking about, the, the before we even get to this point, uh, you have Sterling talking with his intro, and which you hear behind him when we played the clip here. That's the music from the earlier episodes of The Twilight Zone, like the intro music as he's talking that felt yeah. weird to me. And then the montages that we see the, the weird cloudy effect is also from the original title sequence of the twilight zone. Yeah. And it well, was, they had, they had right to use it. They had it. Why not? It makes um, sense. But it was like, it was just kind of like a deja vu. Uh, like they were using the music and they were using the exact same interstitials, you know, to tell the passage of time. Yeah. Well, I, I like the montage. Um, got the point across. So Absolutely. As, yeah. as months were going by, you kind of had a clock pendulum swinging back and forth. And you had, like you said, that kind of foggy intro thing from the earlier episodes. I mean, you had to show the um, time element, right? I mean, that's that's what you had to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the month, the months, the words would fly by on the screen and everything. And um, at some point, Alfred goes up to Archie and asks, like, how long are you going to keep this going? Like... And you you kind of get the hint that uh, Alfred, his lawyer, knows that he doesn't have the money because he asks like, uh, "Do you do you even have the money if Tennyson wins?" Yeah. And uh, yeah, so Tennyson is counting down the days, and then we get. I I love the episode from this point on because it gets it gets very psychological. Uh, Taylor goes downstairs. Archie goes downstairs and. He offers him a thousand dollars to walk out now. And he's just like, like we got to end this. This is crazy. Like, I'll give you a thousand dollars. You can walk out now. We'll just forget this ever happened. Tennyson just writes down three months to go. Uh, our bet stands and puts it against a window. And uh, at that point, he says, "You know, it's spring and spring." Uh, I, I forget the exact terminology he uses, but he says that young people get a little crazy during the springtime. And kind of plants to see that his wife is lonely and she's been seen with like other young men mm -hmm. out outside of the glass bubble. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, and, and, and so th this is where the episode kind of turns because obviously, you know, Tennyson's trying to keep, you know, keep his bet 
And the whole the whole entire reason this bet, the genesis of this is that Archie is just annoyed that this guy won't shut up, right? So then you have Archie who won't shut up and constantly hounding Tennyson and constantly trying to be like, you know, that 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 little voice in the ear of like, you know, this is what could be going on, this is what could be going on, and just kind of like trying to destroy him and destroy his confidence by constantly kind of talking and always being at the edges. And it's the very thing that he was annoyed with uh, to cause this whole thing to start. Yeah. And we get the whole another montage sequence and you get him talking about his wife more and more. Um, and I, I, I love that just because he's in this glass enclosure because of his wife and Archie knows that and he's just trying to lure him out. But uh, he offers him 5000 at one point and then ups it to 6000 uh, calls him an idiot at one point, and he still won't take the money because he knows he's that close. Well, and then give credit to, to Liam Sullivan, Sullivan, who plays uh, Tennyson. Like, for a guy who was just like a mile-a-minute motor mouth at the very beginning, uh, he he's required to express emotion without words, right? And he does a good job of showing the conflict on his face, the frustration and the anger. And then I know at one point with his body language, he goes over to the calendar and smacks it to, to get uh, Archie to look at it. And he does like a five, four to show that he has 54 days left. And it's like the way he kind of carries himself and kind of to see him processing everything that Archie's putting to him. It, it's, it's very effective. Yeah. He even like strikes at the glass at one point yeah. trying to like grab at our uh, Archie. Um, yeah. It's, it's a little to the point. But I mean, what else can he do with this kind of role? I, mean, I just um, I think he played it pretty well, though. I mean, considering that you're supposed to kind of overreact when people can't hear what you're saying, what you're actually thinking, you know? Yeah. And I yeah. think he did a good job of that. Yeah. So after all that, we cut to uh, back upstairs. Everyone at the club is waiting around and you see there's two minutes. Was it to midnight? Ten o'clock or ten o'clock. OK. Yeah. yeah. So it was two minutes to ten o'clock and um the lawyer comes up and he's like, you know, even if uh, even if you end up winning this, like you're still kind of ruined because rumors have been going around about how you've been like uh, messing with Tennyson down there, how you've been whispering in his ear about his wife and everything. And your honor and your reputation is going to be ruined regardless. And he's like, well, it, I'm still going to win. I'm still going to win. You know, <laughs> the clock strikes, strikes 10 o'clock and uh, Tennyson enters the room ever an applause, but he, he still won't speak at this point. Yeah. And his, th- th- that is the power move to walk up and stare down the person. You just beat it and, and, and beat it. That's not the right word. You just defeated and just put your right hand out and just like yeah. demand the check without saying a word. That is a power move. And yeah. It, it, yeah. Well, you find out it's not necessarily a power <laughs> move. <laughs> I agree. But at that um, point in time, it's a power move. Yeah. Yeah. It feels badass at that moment. Cause you know, like, he spent a year without speaking. He comes up without speaking and just goes right up to him. So Archie tells him at this point that he's a fraud and that he has no money and that Tennyson has forced him to expose himself and, and that Tennyson is the better man and he's going to leave the club and everything. And Tennyson writes him a note and, uh, what did, what did he say on the note that there, he writes? Well, no, the, you don't see the note. It's just everybody else around is reacting like what's he saying why can't, like basically the the, the lawyer oh, yeah. was like saying yeah they're like you can say whatever you? you want right now to him you could tell him how how you feel about him 
and he writes the note and the rest of the club members are like, why can't he talk? And you hear this whole bit where everybody's like kind of perplexed. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, then we get to the final twist of this episode. Tennyson uncovers his throat and you find out that he's had somebody sever his vocal cord so he can't speak. And he shows the scar on his neck. Yeah. And that's the button, right? And then you have yep. some really convoluted Serling explanation at the end about like gambling. And the, it was, I, I, I Serling's amazing. And that's the reason why we're doing the show, but it was like his, his outro was like, what are you talking about? Like, it was really bizarre, but you have this guy with the scar on his neck and the entire club losing their mind about the implications of what just happened. And that's the end of your episode. Yeah. And, uh, I really like the end of it. <laughs> yeah, no, I do too. I, I mean, I the moment he was wearing an ascot, I'm like, he cut his he, he cut his vocal cords. Like, I just kind of saw that. I'm like, like you know, you don't wear an ascot recreationally. Maybe you do. I don't know, but it's like it was very it was very obvious the type of clothing he was wearing that you couldn't see his neck. So I yeah, I kind of another had a ten years I wouldn't have thought anything about it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> if it was Vincent Price just hanging out, I'd be like, well, that makes sense. It's fine. That man, it's if, fine. Yeah. If, if it was 1971, uh, <laughs> everyone everyone in that club would have been wearing an ascot and he wouldn't even thought about it. That's so, true. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I guess I'll get to what I was implying at the beginning of this episode. Uh, there's some controversy with this episode, whereas the, uh, the idea of this possibly had come from a uh, Anton Chekhov story called The Bet, mm-hmm. which is about a lawyer and a bunch of people at, at a club talking about capital punishment. And there's a banker there that makes a bet for 2 million rubles that the lawyer can't survive 15 years in solitary confinement. So the lawyer ends up going and he ends up becoming a better person. He studies. He learns like new languages and everything. In the meantime, banker loses his money. His life falls apart and everything. So the banker is like, I'm going to go kill this lawyer because he's going to make it. And I don't have money to pay him. So before he gets to kill him, the lawyer ends up renouncing the bet, leaves early and uh, basically tells him, like, it's OK. Like, you've proved that prison is better and I've become a better person. And it's this whole thing about capital punishment and everything. Uh, Serling never had admitted or never said that it was based on this. I think at one point later on in his life, he said that he had never read that story before writing this. But it seems kind of hard to believe. It does because the setup is like, with the exception of capital punishment, it's it's all it it it's yeah, very even down up. to the twist. Like yeah. it's it's just a little bit off. Yeah. And it, it, it just seems really hard. Like maybe he didn't read it. Maybe somebody was talking about it and he just picked it up, you know, just like, oh, that's kind of an interesting idea, you know. Um, but it just it seemed very weird, uh, especially reading the plot of that short story. Yeah, And considering and I, I didn't it didn't occur to me until I started kind of reading more about this episode. This episode is very different in the sense that there's actually no supernatural or um, like uh, extraterrestrial origin for like what actually happens. It is yeah. just one person mad at another 
and forces him into a situation that he really has, he can't not accept. And then the guy takes an actual legitimate physical means to kind of tip the bet in his favor. So, and, and as I was reading this, everyone kind of felt like this was more in line with like an Alfred Hitchcock presents episode, the twilight zone episode. And I kind of agree with that. Like there's nothing, there's nothing here other than the sudden ability to build a glass box, you know, quickly and would have microphones all over it. Everything else yeah. about this feels like it could, ex- like this could have happened. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I kind of like it. It was a nice change of pace for, uh, for the series. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, this ultimately, this isn't going to go into one of my favorite episodes, but I was pleasantly surprised. And, and then kind of reading, like the 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 circumstances surrounding it like think about this the end of the episode you know they're all standing in club and then they say cut and then uh then tones like all right guys i'm out for the night i'm gonna go to a restaurant and get the shit kicked out of me (laughs) you know like that's (laughs) and then not show up tomorrow see you guys later you know just like i don't know like like he and it's and then watching it a second time after reading about that, like I, it's I got to give credit to uh, uh, Francho Frank Frank whatever his name is Tone, like his his character. I just he gets disheveled, like especially and you said so yourself with it, with the the shots in the middle where it's very much in profile and close ups, and then at the at the end of the episode with his hair all out of whack and everything, it's like he's driven bonkers by this guy who's calling he who he called out. And then the guy actually crossed the finish line. Granted, he did kind of tip the scales in his favor, but you know, it, this was a bet that he was never intended to win anyway. You know, so yeah, I, yeah, and yeah. It, it wasn't so much about the money, just the fact that he was going to be made a fraud, and he knew that. Yeah, and I, I love like I was saying before with those profile shots of him standing sideways against the glass and not actually looking him in the eyes mm-hmm. and everything. It's it, when he admits that Tennyson is the better man, it made total sense to me why he wasn't looking at him or anything. You know, he he knew this going along the whole way, but that was never in this teleplay or anything. No. So it was just it, it's kind of baffling after I read that, that how well that ended up working. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, this this episode was a pleasant surprise for me. Um, yeah, good, good performances, I guess. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing really um, outside of those clever shots to hide his injuries um there's nothing that's really well shot it's pretty much straightforward well Um, yeah there's some interesting stuff in the very beginning with the club because it's it's one set but then they do these perspective shots of when he calls out tennyson and there's these far shots of tennyson like in the in the in the distance and he's turning looking directly at the camera like addressing archie and there, there's some space things that go on there that I kind of dig. And even though this is one set, they did take some time to set up some different perspectives and different shots that had this been one that was shot on video, you would it would have been very static. And I feel like at least there's oh, some yeah. dynamic things going on here. I'm surprised with this teleplay that they didn't end up uh, picking this one to be shot on video. It feels like it could have been. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it would have been so easy. Just set up that it just set up two uh two sets and just Nate, you're done. You yeah. Know? Um, but I'm glad they didn't like, you said. <laughs> but there's only so much you can do with this. Um, but it, the glass enclosure looked pretty cool. That's two weeks in a row. We have, uh, interesting glass enclosures that involve the passage of time. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, so, 
Um, Very strange. Yeah. So, and and I know that was actually, I'd read a note that one of the production designers, when he read the script, he's like, ha ha, am I supposed to light this? So he was panicking about lighting (laughs) the glass room, but they found a way to make it work. And it actually, you don't get, there, there's the shot at the beginning of the second act where you see the glass enclosure in full and then the rest of the episode is actually closer up against it. It's it's an interesting thing to see it. And, I, and I'm sure that keeping it at a distance would have been a problem, lighting it with reflections and everything. But I dug it. I dug the, the speaker slash microphones in the glass and how the audio would just like, you know, change back and forth from the perspective of Tennyson to Archie as they're mm-hmm. talking. I mean, it felt like a drive through speaker, but that's kind of what you wanted. And I dug that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's fairly memorable. Like I, like I said, I don't know if I'm going to go back to this one and watch it all the time, but this is definitely going to be one that I'll remember when we finish up this season mm-hmm. and, uh, going forward. So that's, that's always a plus. Cause we've had some that are kind of forgettable. Sometimes I, uh, see the episode titles from like, the beginning of the first season i'm like which one is that <laughs> yeah so i this one i'll definitely remember so, so definitely a plus um and just to, to kind of ask so in terms of like media like your favorite mute protagonists and you can't say snake eyes from gi joe like do you have any other ones oh man <laughs> trying to um does ryan gosling and drive count <laughs> <laughs> uh Here's a mission. I've not seen Drive, but I feel like, you know, I should have seen that by now. Um, I, I saw Ryan Gosling recently in an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? I don't know if that counts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he does not talk Wasn't much as in good Drive. As Drive but, but, uh, <laughs> but he he does talk in that movie, but not very much, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Not really. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I feel like there's some Westerns. Mm. We were just talking. You you just mentioned today that the Great Silence is being brought to to Blu-ray. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like what Western is that? The one we were just talking about. Yeah, Great Silence. That's a, a great mute main character um, that you covered on your year of the Western last year. Yeah, um, no, it's and you did mention that it's actually getting a proper Blu-ray release and an actual first time ever theatrical run in the U.S. Uh, so that's that's definitely worth checking out. I, I just recently watched um, the Duncan Jones film Mute, that has uh, not Stellan Skarsgård, Alexander Skarsgård, his son. He plays a character that has had his vocal cords uh, cut at a young age from a boating accident. So he spends most of this film in this future Berlin using a pad of paper and uh, to write down what he very similar to this episode. And he's trying to figure out like a, like the mystery of what happened to his girlfriend. And he's very compelling in that. Yeah. Well, that's a good one. Just looking it up. Uh, odd job from uh, the James Bond series. Yes. That's a, he never spoke one word. Um, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, that's really all I can think of. Um, yeah, great silence. I can't can't believe I forgot that one. <laughs> I thought you were it's making a, a joke. I was just like, oh, you're waiting for me to take that bait, are you? Yeah, so, <laughs> no, I I honestly was like, what? Which one was that? Um, yeah, that, that's a great one though. So go check out Great Silence. I mean, you could argue Jason Voorhees is actually a pretty good mute protagonist too, right? So yeah, Michael <laughs> he's Myers an and <laughs> he's not a protagonist. He doesn't save the day. Um, yeah. So, um, well, 
Oh, maybe. I don't know. Those campers yeah. had it coming. From the camp's perspective, you know, <laughs> if maybe the camp doesn't want visitors anymore. Yeah. And Michael Myers is a good call, too. Unless it's the Rob Zombie one where he talked to begin. He was he talked as a kid, right? I, yeah. I, I forgot yeah, he, so much of that movie. Yeah. And he grunts the rest of it. So <laughs> I get like it'd be like no talking. Some gruntings allowed in that glass case there, you know. But uh, yeah. So that's why that's why I wondered, like. If he was allowed to hum to himself or anything. Well, like what if like for me, like I snore like a bear that ate a bear. Like, would that count? Like if I was sleeping and what if I talked to my sleep? Would that count? Yeah, I talk to my sleep a lot. So, yeah, I, I I feel like uh, Archie would have called him on it. (laughs) Yeah. He technicality did not pay the bill. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I talk a ton in my sleep. There's no way I'd make it. I didn't even think about that. And also, like, what the, the random, like, asides of, like, you bumping into a table or something? I don't know. I feel like, I feel like there should be some qualifications that if you, if you jam your knee up, you should be allowed one, one swear word. Maybe not that loud, but. <laughs> yeah, under your breath or something. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway, that's, yeah, that's the, the silence. It was, good, it was, you know, it was good. Um, I got nothing else other than the interesting history of uh, Mr. Tone. And his, yeah, uh, I. His My notes adventures. were pretty light on this one. There's not really too much to dig into. It's pretty straightforward. Um, yeah, just I, I'm interested. I guess we'll never know, know the answer if Serling did actually base this on the bet, but uh, we will never know. Yeah. And also the, the glass enclosure kind of reminded me of the, the first season episode. People are like all over just because it kind of felt like an observational room with a human with a with a like a couch and a TV, only he didn't have whiskey to go grab immediately and start drinking, so that kind of made yeah. me think of that. So and there was only one person watching him. <laughs> yeah, right. Creepily around a pole. <laughs> yeah, I, like really, are you hiding? Like he could see you too, you know. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's that's all I got. Oh, oh, one point actually, I, one more note. There's a bit where uh, uh, Archie says something about a fish market or up what was it fish market or a pawn shop but the way he sells it the way he says it was like a fish market and it sounded like to me a porn shop i'm like wait that's not that's not what like that's not right we're talking about like you know, his credit's not good enough at a fish market or a pawn shop i think he's what he meant to say definitely sounded like porn shop <laughs> maybe it was at the cheesecake factory <laughs> yeah yeah right <laughs> oh that's a good callback anyway uh yeah let's just uh let's just get to the twist I gave it a three, even though I saw the cutting of his throat from a long way out. I didn't see Archie not giving a shit that he doesn't have the money to pay. Basically being like, I'm found out I'm a fraud and the joke's on you. Like, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go a little bit higher. I think I'm going to do a four because I didn't quite see the throat being cut thing coming. Um, I I kind of figured that he didn't have the money because they make such a big deal about it in the beginning of about the check and everything. So I kind of saw that coming, but I like the moment when he tells him that he's a fraud and everything. He just comes flat out. It's just such a devastating moment where it's like this guy just wasted a year of his life with this stupid bet and you come out and then you tell him, you know, it was was just such a devastating moment. And then it gets even more devastating when you see the lengths that Tennyson goes to, Mm -hmm. to win this bet. It's just, it's such a depressing end to this episode. Um, And I, I really enjoyed the twist in this one. So I, it was a nice little double twist. 
So I'll give it, I'll give it a four. Yeah. The guy that can't say words, uh, disprove the guy that cannot keep his word or is not a man of his word. So yeah, I, uh, yeah, this was, it. it was a nice, it was a nice refreshing screw you ending with a good setup that we've not had for a bit, even though the last episode had poor guy trying to hand off gold to future driver, man, and that didn't, whatever, it was fine. But it's been a while since we've had a, a nice, uh, like, you know, just knock the wind out of you, Twilight Zone ending, and I felt like this was, was a good one. Yep, definitely. So I think that's the highest twist I've given God, in a while. I, I feel like this yeah. entire season. Yeah. Yeah. As much as I, as much as I've enjoyed this season getting into it, I just feel like, I don't know if the shines worn off because we were so like, just like, yay, we talked about twilight zone. And the first one was, everything's exciting. It's like, we've seen these before now. Like, I feel like, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, we're just grizzled twilight zone veterans, you know, but I don't know. I just feel like the past few episodes in terms of this, the show, not us, maybe, maybe we've lost our shine. I don't know. Um, I feel like, like they've not been the strongest outing. So it was kind of, you know, I mean, a hundred yards over the rim was just visually interesting, but it wasn't, it just wasn't there for me. And then the Rip Van Winkle caper, like I was way more interested in everything that didn't happen on the screen. So it's nice to kind of get back into some mean, angry twilight zone. Cause I feel like this whole thing was just mean the entire time. Yeah. And no, I, I feel like, uh, they kind of hit their stride of what this show is going to become. And, the twists feel kind of tacked on this season to some extent a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like it's been a few episodes since we've had a guest writer on, and I think that's going to change next, next week for the next episode. So maybe they'll breathe some, uh, fresh air back into the series. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and we'll talk about that next episode here in a second, Kevin, how can people find us? Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Strange Highways Podcast. You can uh, write us an email or leave us a voicemail at Strange Highways Podcast at gmail.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, Podbean, Satchel, Podcast Player, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find us on there. Um, and it would definitely help us out if you would rate and review us on there, uh, get the show out to a few more people. And I think that's about it. All right. So next episode we're going to watch is called Shadow Play and is not brought to you by cigarettes. Um, so I'll read the I'll read the, the little blurb here. Uh, <laughs> next week on the Twilight Zone, you'll sit in this courtroom and you'll watch what is apparently the standard everyday turning of the wheels of justice. But because this is the Twilight Zone, don't be fooled by the readily apparent. When the judge enters, the jury rises, the bailiff calls out the case. All of this is the opening salvo to one of our wildest journeys yet. Our program is called Shadow Play, and it's written by Mr. Charles Beaumont. It comes well recommended by Chloroform Cigarettes. Not Chloroform. Chlorophyll <laughs> Cigarettes. Chlorophyll. Chloroform yeah. Cigarettes for that knockout yeah. taste that you love with cigarettes. One hit, and you'll never know what hit you. you know? like, yeah. <laughs> Those uh, are some great taglines. Yeah, Chloroform Cigarettes, it. the perfect first date cigarette. That's not what that, that yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. That's <laughs> That's not right. I, I'm sorry. I started yeah, off the you episode. You said it was going to get darker. It got dark. Yeah. It got darker. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, um, that's going to do it uh, for us this week. I hope you guys enjoyed the silence. We we enjoyed it as well. We had much to say about the silence. Looking forward. Yeah, to I, I was really hoping we we're going to stay true to our word and just release five minutes of silence <laughs> as this episode, just yeah. titled "The Silence." But, this would uh, have been a good live episode, just to like to Facebook Live with us just staring at the camera. That would have been great for like an hour. 
Maybe. We, we could act like we were talking, but as people are watching it, like, we can't hear you. <laughs> just feel like we know. Yeah. Just type it out or just hold little post-it notes up. Yeah, that would have been great. But, uh, but yeah, that's that's going to do it for us. Uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to Shadowplay. I've not seen this. This is more Charles Beaumont, which I know that he's your favorite. So this should be a good time. Yeah. So until next weekend uh, or next week, just remember when you get out of a helicopter, just keep walking straight. <laughs> Yeah, Don't turn right. Because that, that will silence you as well. We have different reasons. <laughs> oh, God. oh, we're going to end on the worst note. You know my wife, sir? Her name is Doris. She's a lovely thing. Frail, beautiful, fragile. Like a cameo brooch. But her tastes run to unfragile things. Sizable baubles for sizable price tags. She shops at Tiffany's the way other women enter a supermarket. My miserable misfortune is that I happen to be very much in love with her. <laughs>